Everybody, welcome Hello. to welcome to the film room. Uh, we have a guest with us today, Mr. Rob Goki. Am I pronouncing that right? Uh, Goki. Yeah. Goki. Yes. He works as a composer. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Rob. Um, I am a composer for film, television, and web. Um, I've been doing this. This is my tenth year. Um, freelance as a composer. I've kind of run the gum out of doing like pretty much every genre and different styles uh, which is something you just have to be adept at when you're a composer when you're scoring stuff because you never know what you're going to get asked to write sometimes it's britney spears sometimes it's reggae sometimes it's just like john williams ish film score music fortunately there are more days like that than the other two <laughs> yeah uh, i did i listened to uh, a lot of your the samples you posted on your site you do have a varied style it's very nice. It, I, a lot, I mean, you kind of feel like you have to be a jack of all trades because um, people will ask for weird random things that you don't um, expect. Um, for instance, on the, the web series New Adventures of Peter and Wendy, I had to do a Mad Men sound alike. People want to be told what to do so badly they'll listen to anyone. <gasps> and I want to listen to the guy that said that if you get a large pizza, you get a free order of mojos. But what they really wanted was the Mad Men theme just written in a way that we wouldn't get sued. Right. Um, but, you know, like, we need, we need 10 seconds of that. And then the rest of the episode is normal scoring. Um, so you, you get little random things that get thrown at you that you don't expect that you're... I, I did a video game once that needed... 40s jazz with a modern twist um, and since I wasn't around in the 1940s you know you you just say yes and then you kind of figure it out as you go along thank god for the web because if it wasn't for the web and for YouTube and for being able to search and find just about anything it'd be so much harder it really is the greatest research tool ever <laughs> oh god yeah I was just watching some of the first season of uh, Peter and Wendy uh, just before this and I'm addicted it's a great show it's not a show if I wasn't scoring it and part of it, I wouldn't know to watch it. My first thought would be, oh, this probably isn't my thing or this isn't this. I'm not the target audience. But having read the scripts and then watched the episodes, I, I really love what Sean, the writer, did with the characters and, and all the actors did just an amazing job playing everyone. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a nice uh, I love the um, way Tinkerbell's worked into the show. Yes, I had to create a custom Tinkerbell sound. It's like four instruments morphed together. Oh, thanks, Tink. I've been using a new shampoo. Oh, uh, Tink, can I talk to you for just a, a sec? Oh, nice. They're different every time. So whenever I get the episode and I have to score it, there's a whole separate track where I just do the Tink voice. <laughs> and it's tempting there with just a random, like, cowbell. Um, but I'll go in and add stuff in and try and give her a little bit of personality. Nice. That's that's really cool. Um, how'd you come to be involved with this project? Um, I know 
Jenny Powell, who's who's producing this, um, and I've known each other in the web space for a long time, and I've known Paula Rhodes, who plays Wendy, uh, for years and scored many different things that she's been in. Um, and so because I knew them and they were looking for a composer, they came to me and said, hey, we need a composer for this show. Um, and when I had first heard about the show, I thought it was a little bit more vlog style, like Lizzie Bennet Diaries. So my first question was, why do you need a composer? And they said, oh no, the camera's gonna be moving around. This is gonna be much more dramatic. And then I read the scripts and thought, oh, this has so much potential for a score and for me to, to branch out and do some things with. So we all met for sushi and, <laughs> and everybody from the director, Matt, to, to the producers, Kyle, who also plays Peter, and um, and Paula and Jenny, everybody's amazing um, and so easy to get along with. It's just such a fun group to work with. And and I knew that I was I wanted to do season two before we were even done with season one. Oh yeah, I, I I've only had a chance to watch a snippet of it, but I can tell it's right up my alley. I I like fun stuff and yeah, most really interesting work. It is season two is much darker than season one, which I like. Cool. It's, it's kind of the Empire Strikes Back season. Um, Gotta do those. Nice. Where we where we did we did a table read and I thought, wow, some of these characters I don't like anymore. That's really <laughs> that's really cool. I'm <laughs> yeah. Um, so so we get to we get to expand. I I think that the score is growing with the show, which is always interesting and fun to see it like morph from where it was in the first season to where we are as we start to close in on the last third of the second season, I think. Yeah, it's always fun, I find, when I watch web series, because they always do that with the second season. They always grow and expand, because they have so much more feedback, and they have so much more experience and resources to do that. You're trying to find your footing in the first season. You're trying to get all the characters to gel and figure out um, where the story is, and, and I, I feel like season one is, is always... you're you're trying to catch up and you're and then you get done with it and you have a chance to look back and go oh here's the things that we did right and here's the things that we didn't do right and like let's change it for season 2 and then you have and you know you know what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are in terms of acting um, and you can play to those when you write when you continue to write and, yeah. and that and that is something that's really kind of fascinating to me I'm 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 curious to know I mean obviously you have a pretty solid level of involvement I can tell with this uh as a composer, um, would it be would, would it be correct to say this is probably more than you might have had on other projects? Um, it's about I would say it's about the same. It is definitely more than most other web series. Um, one because there's like thirty episodes in the season, and most web series are six to ten. And I also feel like looking at both seasons together, season two has a lot more music than one did. One. We progressively got more score as we went along. Um, with two, again, I feel like because we knew what what was we we're capable of doing with one, two, we were able to come right out of the gate, and and the themes and everything are stronger for the characters in season two, in my opinion, um, because we knew where we were going. That's awesome. I saw the uh, you know when you uh, go to YouTube, you know it has especially for web series. Uh, a little playlist like you scroll mm -hmm. down to see how much it's like oh there are like 25 of these things cool yeah there's like 25 in the first season and like 30 or 31 in season 2 although I think we're only up through 15 or 16 
I forget what's coming, what's airing this week. I think I saw it was uh, 16 on the site. Um, and, you know, we introduced Hook in Season 2, and he got his own theme, which was fun to do. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I feel like we were able to have more fun with it this year. That's really neat. Uh, I have to ask, what kind of instruments do you use for scoring? I'm Well, I'm a guitar player first. It was the, the first thing I've ever played was a guitar. Um, but when I started taking music theory, I learned piano. And the, the way it works is there are really expensive sample libraries that you can purchase as a composer to use when you don't have the option of scoring with live players because there isn't money um, to do that. And so um, the libraries have gotten really, really good in that there's some guitar libraries that are easier to use and better than if I were to stop and set up my guitar and warm up and then do take after take after take. And so I, I have libraries that cover just about everything that you can think of, you know, in terms of orchestral music and like metal guitar and different percussion instruments and drum kits and, and all kinds of exotic instruments. And so generally I'm sitting at the piano keyboard writing, um, but I'm triggering all of these samples depending on what I'm using. Yeah, I know these days, especially for television, you know, they don't use, like, orchestras anymore. Uh, I think the last, like, as far as animated shows go, I think the last uh, show to actually use a full orchestra was Batman the Animated Series. I think the Simpsons and Family Guy still do. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And ABC does for, they did for Revenge, and I think they do for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And The, Walk, and the Walking Dead will do like i think that bear is allowed to like he'll get a few people in sometimes it's 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 part it's half and half like it's half fake half samples and half like oh we can afford for you to bring in like four or five players right and sweeten the sound with with a soloist but i, th I think the simpsons and family guy are still using live orchestra every week oh, that's really neat um which is just in, insane because the I'm scoring an animated show for DreamWorks, and the amount of work for an animated show is so much more than than anything else, because it's it's so wall to wall, and it, and you're changing styles so drastically. Right. Yeah. And they tend to be more uh, hyper. Exactly. It's fun. It's it's doing animated show is one one of the most fun things I've ever scored. Like I love doing it because you can kind of. You're so used to, as a composer, holding back because you don't want the score to overpower the scene. Right. Um, but with a cartoon, it's the exact opposite. Um, it's, the only, it's the only thing I've ever scored where the note was, we need more metal. Um, <laughs> because I'm scoring a show that's, that's part Tom and Jerry and part old school Japanese anime. And so we're mixing the styles of like orchestral with like pop techno metal. Oh, that's really cool. The animation stuff's been the most fun I've had scoring in in a long time, if not ever, just because it's it's so like give me everything you've got. It's very hard to do that and then jump back into something like to go from that to Peter and Wendy, and I'm like, oh, I have to okay. Now now it's just guitar and piano. This is very quiet scene. Right. Um, <laughs> I almost need a day to like switch gears because they're so different. I think anybody who's creative understands that impulse. Yeah, I'm a big fan of um, animation. I listen to a lot of uh, animated score and movie score. So yeah, that is that is kind of 
manic. Depending on the animation, like if you're watching a Pixar movie, or or um, or even Disney, it's not. It most scenes aren't. It's scored a little bit more like a traditional movie. Right. Um, whereas if you're watching like Animaniacs, you know it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know a guy who's. Uh, I know a guy who's worked on that. So yeah. True. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I mean, you're right. Uh, hence the fact that a lot of animation, a lot of composers on stuff like, um, well, Michael Giacchino is the guy that's coming to my mind right now. Most right. of doing both. He's come a long way since Alias. Yes, oh, he yeah. has. <laughs> I was a watcher of Lost, and yeah, I was a big fan of his uh, work on that. Yeah, I love his work on Lost. He did. He did such an amazing job. It's like it's just it's just so robust for a. Uh, uh, for a network television show, yeah, and he he recorded live too. He was able to do some live recording for Lost. Oh, that's really neat. I think when the ratings are there and the money's there, then they're then and now again that was ABC that they're willing to throw some money in, and and get the music right and record it live. But most shows just don't have the budget to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Lost was a fl- a fluke. I mean, the amount of ratings and money they had. Yeah, especially in that first season. Right. Very few shows like that. <laughs> I think he he actually had pieces of the plane wreckage um, from set from set back to the studio, and he used them in the score for percussion. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> that's <is> amazing. <laughs> it's like it's so hardcore. It's like no, these drums won't work, but that hull of that plane will. <laughs> Have that ship back here from Hawaii. <laughs> That's 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 just awesome. How how different is it? Uh, I know you've worked on some uh, some feature films. Uh, how different is it to score a feature film that is a shorter form? Um, it's it's basically the same thing, just expanded. Like w- with a feature film, you'll have maybe you have say two main characters, and each character will have a theme, and then you might have one other third theme, and it's a matter of trying to find a way to weave all those themes together. Um, in a way that makes sense, and maybe they they come together in the end, or they start together and they separate, um, and you and look at it like a puzzle. It's just an hour and a half puzzle, as opposed to like a short film, where you it's the same concept. You just have a lot less time to tell the story. And web series are working the same way as television do. It's the same thing as TV, but you've got less time. the The thing I love about TV and web is that because it's serialized, you get a chance to, you're able to breathe and spread out musically the themes that you write. Like, oh, here's a theme for this character, but we're gonna start it off in the first episode with maybe just a few notes. And then by the fourth episode, we're gonna hear it again, but it's gonna be like filled out with piano. And then by the eighth episode, we'll add some strings. And then by the finale, it'll be this full piece of music and you can build it over the course of the season. Just like the characters themselves. Exactly. Um, and when Chris Beck was scoring Buffy, it was the first time that I sat down and analyzed a television score and realized that it was done that way. And I would hear snippets of themes early in the season in different scenes, you know, and, and think, oh, that's Buffy and Angel theme. And it, it came in way back here. And here it is again in this one other scene. And then you can slowly hear it change as it gets, as you build towards. Yeah. The climax of the season or the you know the as we get to the finale beck is beck's one of those guys i don't think he's getting quite enough of his due right now uh 
because I really like his stuff. I actually I just know. saw. I I think with Ant Man, he's finally starting to get. I was about to say. <laughs> I was about to say because I just saw that on Sunday, and I thought his score work on it was tremendous. It, he did a great job. It's very. It, the score is very heist movie mm -hmm. like. Um, oh yeah, he understood the film exactly. He's he has had you know he left television. He left Buffy to go do movies, and he's had a a very prolific career but he's been very very into the radar he does films like the hangover series mm -hmm. and like i love you beth cooper and so he does a, a lot of to do a lot of rom-coms or comedies where you don't necessarily think of the composer and he doesn't stand out but he's doing these huge films and he was the composer for frozen of the score not the songs mm -hmm. but every when you think of frozen everybody thinks of the songs which is a shame because it yeah. is a really wonderfully scored film right and so I, I, I was excited that he got Ant-Man because I feel like he's finally getting his yeah. due. I mean, especially he was able to do music for the quantum realm. That's, you know, that's something. Right. That's some work. So, but you're right about that, about how TV allow, about how serialized format allows that growth. And people ignore that in TV. But it's a real shame that that gets ignored because I think that I can see the appeal is what I'm trying to say. As a viewer, I prefer TV over film for that reason. I like that you have 12 or 24 episodes to tell a story instead of just 90 minutes and you're done. Or that you can finish out a season, but you know those characters are going to come back the next year. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of creative types across the entire board are looking at TV uh, and whatever format TV is as having more appeal right now, because I can see that. It was the opposite for a long time. When I started, no one, everyone looked down at TV. No one wanted to do TV. Everybody used TV as a stepping stool to get to feature films. And it's, it's amazing how quickly it shifted, uh, you know, with, with shows like, with AMC's whole slate of shows between Breaking Bad and Walking Dead. And there's so much great TV that all of these film composers are suddenly turning towards television. Oh, yeah, and especially with uh, uh, a lot of big directors and writers going to like premium cable, like David Lynch is reviving Twin Peaks. Right. And um, um, you have shows like True Detective. They're attracting big names. And uh, David Fincher and his and uh, the and writers. House of Cards. Yes, and House of Cards, exactly. And he's got Utopia coming at some point. Especially Netflix. Good God. Yeah. They have so much going for them right now in terms of that. Oh, they do. And Daredevil was amazing. Oh, it was. Yeah, I've only seen a bit of Daredevil. Um, I was going to start it, but then, uh, my, but then I made the error of saying to my wife, who had never seen any of the X Files, "Hey, why don't you start watching the pilot of that?" Oh and, man! And, <laughs> and see if this just see if this is up your alley. Just see if it's something that appeals to you. And and then you're like, oh, she likes it. Now we have a hundred and like, how many episodes to watch? Two hundred two episodes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my! And I have seen every one of them multiple times. <laughs> oh, that, that was my childhood. That was my childhood hardcore. So, and of course, that that was a show. That's a show that I also thought had some pretty decent scoring. Uh, got better yeah. as it went along, definitely. Yeah, Mark Snow did a great job. It was very, um, it, that score was very electronic sounding on purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the samples, the quality of samples then were nowhere near where they're at now in terms of realism. But he he, the way he did it, he did it purposefully. Yeah, because um, they had money. So if he really wanted a full orchestra for X Files, he probably could have gotten 
players for it. But I think he did a great job. I think the score fit the show really well. It, it did. I mean, I know he did work with the, at least, a, I think, a little bit more on the films. But... Uh... Mm-hmm. Sample libraries have gotten so, so good in the last four to five years that... You know, they've, they're really expensive libraries that you buy that sample every note of every instrument. Um, and so as I took theory and started to learn theory, I had to learn piano. And everything I play, for the most part, is triggered um, through my piano keyboard um, and depending on what sample it is I want to play. And so um, especially when you're doing lower-budget things and they can't afford to hire live players, it's great to have an amazing sounding solo cello or, or great strings or awesome um, world percussion instruments or, you know, instruments from, um, um, from Africa or from like uh, mid the Middle East or Asia. And um, even the guitar samples are so good now that in a lot of times it's faster and easier for me to use the samples instead of set up my guitar and play myself. Um, which is interesting to me because I would not have known. I, I truly wouldn't have known. Uh, that's how good the samples, I guess, are. Also, I have no musical ear whatsoever. I, I scored a web series called Night of the Zombie King a few years ago, and it was one of the it was the first time I'd ever used a guitar sampler, and it was the first one I'd had that I didn't hate that actually sounded okay. And I remember going to the premiere, and everyone was like, "I didn't know you played guitar." <laughs> and I was like, "Ah." Everyone's fooled. Like, <laughs> hmm. What is this new power? That means I don't ever have to pick up the guitar again if I don't want to. <laughs> right. um, and then they got samplers. Got the guitar samplers got even better. Which it's it in some ways it's kind of somewhat depressing. I'm like, wow, I just outsourced myself as a guitar player. And now I know what um, orchestra players feel like when the libraries get better and better. And someone's like, no, we don't need a whole section of violins. Because we have this sample library that's that costs thousands of dollars but sounds amazing. I mean, I mean it's really fascinating to me. Um, I, I, because I just I can't imagine what that would be like uh, to see that. Uh, but yeah, you you mentioned this zombie work. Uh, what kind of music did you uh, do for that? Uh, tell me a little bit about that because that's kind of that sounds fascinating to me. That was interesting because it actually had nothing to do with zombies. It was a it was this web series about a bunch of people 10 years after high school that had all moved away and kind of got back together. They all played Dungeons and Dragons together when they were in high school. So they got back together for one game. And so the score, half of the score for the, the six episode series was the in-game score while people were playing. And I tried to make the score very Lord of the Rings-ish because I thought, well, for the, for people who are watching this but don't play, um, who don't play D and I don't want that. I want to make this more exciting than it would be if they're they're just watching. So so let me score this as if they're really going through a dungeon and fighting a dragon. Um, and then the other half of the score were the interpersonal relationships between the people, um, and there was conflict in their with their own personal lives. It was cool because I did two different styles, and in the very last episode, I found a way to bring them both together. As they, as a group, they kind of got over their own personal problems and in turn were able to fight this dragon and beat it because they all worked together. And so it was, it was very fun to score at the time. 
because I got to do two very different styles and make them meld together. Oh, that's really fascinating. Talking about another one of your projects, I listened to a little bit of that, uh, the Dark Knight Legacy stuff that you had on your uh, website. That was that was so cool to do. Um, I uh, uh, The director of that, Brett Register, and the producer, Woody Tundorf, Woody came to me and asked if I could meet him for lunch, and we sat down for a meeting, and he said, we're going to do this pilot that's Batman and I was like I'm in <laughs> yeah I don't care if you don't have any money I don't care like if it's if you need a thousand minutes of music I as soon as he hit Batman I was like when do we start so they they um they did such a great job with the costumes and the fight choreography that score came very easy to me because um because I, as a comic reader and and someone who's a huge fan of both Red Hood and Nightwing like I was already in the world before I saw any video and I kind of knew musically what I wanted to do. So it, it just flowed very well. It was over so fast, I was kind of disappointed. I wanted, we wanted to make more, but Warner Brothers shut down. They, the problem is they did an Indiegogo or Kickstarter to raise money to make a whole season and they raised $10,000 the first day and then Warner Brothers and they got a lot of press and Warner Brothers was like, um, oh, no. no, we're okay with you having the video up, but we're not okay with you raising money to make yeah. more. So they, they made them pull down the campaign, um, but they let them leave the actual video itself up, which is still up on YouTube. Oh, cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Cause I am a, uh, I'm a massive Batman fan. I, I don't know exactly how newsworthy that is in this modern society, but like Red Hood, Nightwing, I know all that stuff. I love those stories. And I'd love to see a, uh, a Nightwing in live action. That would be cool. So I'm also going to have to... Um, and they, yeah, and basically the story takes place after Chris Nolan's Dark Knight series when Batman's gone and Red Hood and Nightwing have both are both kind of taken over Batman's role, albeit in different ways, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> because I... Red Hood's way is to go in and massacre everybody, um, whereas Nightwing is <laughs> trying they... to to be a little more civil about it. Clearly they'd read the comics. Yes. Clearly they had read the comics cuz cuz Judd Winnick's storyline seriously that's one of my it's one of my favorites. So, I mean, and the opening scene is taken almost directly from from the comics. If you read the comics you'll go, "Oh, I remember a scene very much like this." Why why wouldn't you when Warner Brothers did their official adaptation, they pretty much lifted the story verbatim right down to hiring Winnick. So, right. Which I mean, I have to ask, I mean, when you're working on a project like that, where obviously there's a wealth of already existing scores, how hard is it to avoid going where other people have gone before? Um, well, they were very, they were very open to just saying like, you do what you want to do. I didn't get a whole lot of, um, parameters with that. And so I, I purposefully didn't listen to anything just before going in. I knew that I wanted a separate theme for Nightwing than I had for Red Hood. And it's a short, so it's not very long. Um, so I had to kind of squeeze both of them in together along with the action music. And and so I just kind of, I went in like it was anything else instead of going in thinking about all of the lore that followed it and all of the movies that came before it. It's the way to go. I, I really, I, I listened to pretty much the full thing you've got up on your site, and it's, it's really tremendous music. And that's pretty much all, I think everything up there is the entire score. I think, the, I think it's under, it's less than 10 minutes long, and I think I, I, was, I, I grabbed every cue. 
So what's up there is the complete score for that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because it really it sounded really cool, and uh, I like I could definitely picture what you were going for. Like I I haven't seen the short, but I could get pictures in my head, very clear mental pictures, just from listening to it. Which I love when I'm listening to music. Uh, that's that's what I that's what I hope for when I listen to a film score, at least. Yeah, I feel the same way. I remember as a kid listening to the Empire Strikes Back score and knowing what scene went with what cue. Like when the asteroid field Q came up, I knew, I knew, you know, where the Millennium Falcon was flying when, you know, when the music was soaring and like what happened where. Oh yeah, w- William's score is almost like a, uh, I mean, it's almost like a handholding through those films. Seriously. Yes. Uh, you know, of course, there's always the famous story about how when they screened it without the music, it didn't do so hot. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yeah, when they. Well... It'd be a very dry film without the music. <laughs> yeah, like when when they screened it without the music, it looked like a chintzy '70s sci-fi film. When they scored screened it with the music, suddenly it's the most epic thing ever. I believe this story is my point. <laughs> yeah, if you look on uh, YouTube, I believe there are one or two channels that uh, show scenes for movies without the score. Uh, I, the one that comes to mind is the ending of E.T., where he has to go up in the craft and it's right it's like the most boring like what (laughs) it's so interesting for me i'm used to because i get movies without score i'm so used to having them without anything and then applying the score to it that i'm at the other end of that whereas the director and the producers and the editor are much more like oh my god we've been cutting this for a month and haven't had any music and like didn't realize how huge the impact was when we dropped it in um, but I'm so used to getting things with no score and then trying to imagine the score in my head. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this has happened. I mean, have there, what happens when you get stumped? Um, I feel you know, there's every project, when you sit down for the first time, there's always that fear that you're just going to blank and it'll be the one time that you don't come up with something. Um, I don't, whenever I'm, I feel like I, if I get stumped, there's always the threat of a deadline to get you out of it. Um, because I, if I'm being particularly, if I'm being picky about a score and not liking anything I'm writing, eventually there'll only be like two or three days before I have to deliver something. And then I have to find something that I wrote that, oh, well, this isn't, this is actually not terrible. If I strip everything else away, let me take this and expand on it. And then the inspiration comes. I, I'm, I'm a writer myself, so my response is yes, I understand exactly where you're coming from on that. Uh, but when there's no deadline, then you can just constantly throw everything away because you know you can. You're like, ah, I don't really like that. No, I don't like that either. But, but with the deadline, you're like, I have to, I have to deliver something. So I'm going to have to find something I like and make it and find a way to make it work. At least, at least through, you know, it's, it's multiple drafts. So I feel like if I can get them something that I don't love, but that's in the right direction, and then find out if they like it too, then then we can start moving forward with it. But if they don't like it, then you know, then we at least I've delivered something, and we, we know which direction to not go in. That's that's often that's often as important as knowing where to go. Frankly, what what what's some of the feedback that you've gotten in the past from directors? I know it's a really generic and broad question, but what's some of the most interesting feedback you've ever gotten? Um. 
aside from what kind of crap is this that you wrote? No, um, <laughs> I, it's generally it's funny because a lot of directors are are afraid to talk music because they feel like they're going to have to to know music. And I always tell directors, talk to me in emotion. Like, what am I supposed to feel in the scene? What do you want the audience to feel? Do you want them to be scared? Do you want them to be sad? And then we can work at it from there. A lot of directors will say, well, like, I'm not a music guy, so you just write whatever you want to write. And then I'll, I'll write something and they'll go, oh, you used a <laughs> piano. Like, oh, you don't like, you don't like piano? No, but I like guitar. How come there's no guitar in this? I'm like, oh, okay. And you got to like pull it out of them slowly. <laughs> and like, what That's else great. do you like? Oh, I really like horns. And a didgeridoo. And I'm like, oh, okay. So now I know I need to use those things. <laughs> um, yeah. But but some some it's a it's a little bit of and it's always harder in the beginning. But then you get the the palette down of the the instrument palette of like what's working, and then it, and when you get a few cues in that work, then it then it's much better because you know stylistically like where it needs to be and what you're writing. You just need to write more of it. I got a note from Sony once because I did a Sony commercial one year. Um, it was actually an interactive display that went in Best Buys and um, I think Sam's Club or Costco where you step in and it was their 5.1 surround sound system and there was a you'd step in and a video would play and I wrote music that played in that video. And the first year it was really cool because they just wanted big and orchestral and like trailer-like and, and it was fun and there weren't a ton of notes. And then the second, the next year when I went to do it, they wanted it to be much more poppy and, and modern. And the first note I got was, we need this to sound like a hipster with disposable income. <laughs> and I, I was like, no problem. And then I got the phone and went, I don't know what the hell that is. What does that mean? <laughs> that is, that is. And then like, little by little, they would they gave musical examples of like of what they wanted. And then it was easier to pull in, but that was much harder to do. I'm like, oh, now you want me to sound like Imagine Dragons, except that I'm one guy <laughs> in a studio, and I'm not four guys in like in a recording studio playing instruments. Right. Um, and and it's it's much harder to do that. Um, and so sometimes the notes, I feel like notes, notes for the most part from directors are very are great and direct, and the more detailed the better. It's notes from like executives or from producers who aren't creative producers people who are, who who aren't as creative and are more money people those are the notes that tend to be frustrating because they will not make sense that is that can is you make some... this sound happier well how do you want... i don't know just make it happier you know like that song i'm happy like <laughs> by pharrell <laughs> uh but this is a piece with strings yeah yeah, yeah. but you know and and so, like, fortunately, there's always a director there. And you can turn to the director and go, "What do you really want? What do you want?" <laughs> so I'm working I, for you. <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised in the least to hear that directors are more understanding of that kind of thing. Uh, makes sense to me. Uh, I've got a number of friends who are musicians. I mean, the the worlds intermingle well, is what I was saying. Right. Although although being a musician, writing for an album is very different than scoring i have friends that and and people i've known that have tried to cross over you know when you're making your own album for the most part you're writing the songs that you want to write and there's really unless you're on a big label there's no one to tell you what to write or that your writing is wrong with film score you're it's not your music the second that you write it you're writing it for the film and for the director so you're handing it over and so when they don't like it you can't take it personally right oh this is a great piece but it doesn't work 
and I might think it works, but it's not it's not my decision. It's the director's decision. It's his or her movie. So I you know, I'm I'm there to service the film or the show. And you have to remember that. It's hard as an as a creative as like an artist to have somebody go, Oh, this is wrong. <laughs> like, no, it's not. <laughs> that that but would it be might be wrong for the film. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, when I get asked to rewrite something, and I and I personally don't agree, and even though I don't say anything, it's better when I rewrite it. I'm, I'm almost always like, "Oh, this is actually better than what I thought I liked better." <laughs> they were right. I'm just not going to tell them. Right. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. That's a story that again you hear throughout the creative world. People saying that, yeah, um, it turns out that when you go in and you revise something. Yeah, usually, like I've noticed there are two kinds of people. I, People who take constructive criticism and discover that, oh, yeah, there was a benefit to it. And people who rage and decide that uh, you are an, you don't understand me, you, you are an affront. Yeah, I've, I've, I went to college with a guy uh, who uh, acted that way. He dropped out of the screenwriting class I was in, so... <laughs> Well, and I've known composers who, or musicians who try to compose and then, and just couldn't do it because you have to, you just can't, you have to be able to take that criticism all the time because you're always going to get it. In, in fact, it's worse when you turn, when I turn something in and I'm waiting for notes and then the director will go, no, this is great. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's the first draft. <laughs> no, no, I love it. And I'm like, but I, I want to change it. And they're like, nope. So then you have to, again, you have to let go. I'm like, okay, I, I'm not happy with it, but I'll, I, if it was up to me, I would work on this for nine months, but we don't have nine months. No, it's very much a, a collaborative art. Right. I, 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 I can see that being really replenishing, frankly, to, to, to have the collaboration. Uh, yeah, you're not you're not in a vacuum so much. Ugh, being in a vacuum is the worst. It is. The collaboration is the best part. I love, it's so much better than the sitting by in some ways the sitting by myself and writing the at least initially the first draft where it's just me and i'm wondering like oh this is my first impression the, the first impression they're going to get of me are they going to hate it are they going to love it but once you're into it it's much easier and the director's like oh remember that cue from earlier in the film we i want something like that here and you're like oh yeah i remember that like you know it's you know you get the director to sit down and your voices kind of collide together and it's not just the, your lone voice where you're wondering, am I, are they going to like reject this or are they going to love it? That's, that's awesome. That, that really is. I mean, I'm completely outside that world, but I know a thing or two about uh, enjoying collaborations. Uh, this has nothing to do with anything that we're discussing, but um, earlier this year, um, we created a fake B movie for our cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we, we wrote an entire detailed plot synopsis for it and uh, did an entire hour cast on it. Yeah, and even uh, uh, a good part of the script, which was unfortunately lost, was, was written for it. And we were even going to have uh, uh, a friend was going to uh, do some score for us because we were going to actually create uh, audio fake scenes, yes, to clip yeah. in. And uh, that ultimately fell apart, but uh, we were able to do it, and it was fun. We were. Uh, so I'm, the point that I'm making is, I understand is the fun of it was getting to collaborate with my partner here on this. Mm -hmm. right. Ton of fun. Oh yeah. 
and building up that universe because one of the rules that we kind of kept was throw it in it was improv rules Ex well exactly and and again when you collaborate you get ideas that you wouldn't that you might not think of that you know because because as long as you're open to that some people aren't as open to the collaboration process and then it makes it harder but what really makes it fun is yeah uh, like you said you get ideas that you would not have had yourself and then you can take those ideas and build on them and kind of bounce them back and forth and that's super fun it it, it really it is and um i have to ask what um and this is probably something that uh getting back to the instrument thing what equipment are you on if i may ask because uh my brother is a uh, is a musician, and so I'm. I have to be curious about that. Also, what programs do you use? Yeah. Uh, um. I. You know, when I started originally, I was I was on a PC, and then at some point I went to go. You know, I'm Mac with my phone and my iPad, but I went to switch to a Mac, and I started pricing out like a Mac that I needed for writing music versus building a computer from scratch, and the price difference was huge. Like the Mac was four times more expensive than building the same computer. And I thought, I can totally build a computer. So I built my studio computer. So the last three I've had, I built from scratch because nice. wow. um, I, it's, I like it because when something goes, if something goes wrong, it would be like the equivalent of building a car from the ground up. If something goes out, you know exactly what part went out and where it is and how to replace it because you put it together. Um, and um, and so I used Pro Tools for many, many years because when I started out, that's what Guitar Center sold me as the, the default program. Pro Tools is great for recording live audio and for mixing. It's not so great for, for samples and for MIDI and for film scoring. Um, they're always behind the curve, like a step or two. So a few years ago, a friend of mine let me test drive Cubase which is what um, Zimmer uses, um, mm. and Junkie XL, who just did, who's doing Batman versus Superman and just did Mad Max. Um, and I tried Cubase 5 and loved it. And then immediately, I think it was not long after that, 6 was coming out, and I upgraded to 6, and now we're up to, um, we're through 7 and 8. Um, Cubase has been amazing. It's, it's so much better built for composers. Um, the shortcuts and the way that it's designed and... Um, the ease of use. And then I use Contact as a sampler, and that basically will play, all of my sample libraries will play through that one sampler. Oh, that's nice. awesome. Um, and then, it, so it's it's basically Cubase, Contact, and then however many sample libraries you own. Oh, that's that's really cool. Um, yeah, my brother uses Pro Tools. I think he uses Pro Tools. Um, so I, just, I was curious, because I have a little bit of awareness of that, but... Yeah, if you're gonna do it, uh, doing doing the stuff those guys work on is isn't that yeah. can't beat it. I went to school for film, and I uh, I'm an editor, so I understand how great it is to have something you can ultra customize, especially keyboard shortcuts. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, super useful, and you can just quick enough. Like I use uh, what is it Reaper uh, to. Mm -hmm to edit the cast and that's especially great because you can customize everything there are a lot there's a lot of good programs for most film composers generally use either pro tools cubase digital performer or logic those are the four and i feel like digital performer is is kind of more on its way out um it's the one that i i feel like that's been around a long time but i don't know is getting updated regularly 
I almost switched to Logic, but it would have required me to go completely max. So it was like, it's going to cost me so much more just to switch to Logic when I, it's only going to cost me like $500 to switch to Pro Tools. Right. As opposed to like $5,000 if I go with Logic. Right. But yeah, it's, you're, you're right. You need, the shortcuts are, are huge. And um, it just, especially when you're sitting for 12 to 18 hours straight. Like you need to, you need to be able to streamline your process. Right. It takes all those uh, few seconds of moving the mouse around. They build. Yes. Because I, I have to work on an Adobe suite at, with a, an Adobe suite at my job, and I understand that completely. You know the the virtue of being able to have everything to your need. It's right. vital. It's very vital. Of course, I have to switch computers every night at work, so I don't get to do that. <laughs> It's the way that my department works because one night I'll be working on one section, one night I'll be working on another. So, go figure. But uh, and I, I'm guessing uh, you you uh, work out of a, a studio. Uh, is it on site at the the house or? Yeah, I ha I have a, a home studio set up with you know with a custom desk and like um, we have it's a separate room in the house. So it's like. So I'm able to like kind of separate the the work and non-work times. When I think when I started, I was in the I was in the living room. We were in a smaller place, and it's really hard when you have to turn your living room into like half studio because you never really can get away with, away from it. It's not the same when you get up and then walk ten feet to the couch and like sit down. You're still you're right. still too close to the computer. It's still um, so looming. It's, yeah, exactly. Um, I probably spend more time in here in the studio than we do like any other room in the house. Yeah, I, I can see part of your setup in the Skype profile pic there. Looks pretty yeah. sweet. It does indeed. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's a really nice setup, I can see. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm very minimal. It has to be very minimalist but for me. I don't like a lot of clutter, so I like it. Everything kind of has to be somewhat clean. Not clean like dust doesn't bother me, but like clutter bothers me. So I have to have very few things like on the desk itself everything else has to be like away because i can't work if it's if it's all messy or i'll use that as a procrastination tool oh, yeah. i don't know what i want to write let me clean <laughs> yep. the only time ever in my life that i like that we're cleaning is you choose to clean oh yeah, uh, yeah. on purpose been there that's that, that's really interesting i mean i i i i get that completely um that kind of need for that it's well, and that procrastination is part of the process for me. Sometimes you have to like let the you let the score gestate in your head, mm -hmm. or I'll be or you know you're blocked, and then you walk away and you do something else, and then you come back and suddenly you realize, or while you're doing while you're doing something that's not related to the score, you'll realize what you need to do in the score. Right, it's a eureka moment. Yep. Exactly. I, I I get that. I as I said, I I feel bad because I'm constantly referring. You have to understand, I'm three drafts deep into a project right now, and it is, like, all-consuming for me right now. So if I can't shut up about it, it's because I can't I can't get away from it in my head. And so I understand, is, is, is what I'm saying. I, I often have to do the same thing. I'll often go for a drive before I write just to do it, just to get that gestation. Yeah, and, and driving's perfect for that, too. As long as, as long as you have a way to, like... There's times where I'm like, oh, that's the melody I need. Crap, I need to be able to hum it somewhere or write it down. Right. Like, mm. um, some yeah. Sometimes it's stepping away and like 
watching TV for an hour or eating or taking a nap for 45 minutes and then waking up and going, oh, I totally know what I need to write. You, you talked about deadlines. What's this, what's an average deadline for you? Um, it's always less than you want it to be. It's I would I would say on average, you know, I've had features where I literally only had three weeks to write the score from from scratch. But I've also had stuff where I've had four months. Well, like for the for the DreamWorks um, cartoon, and they're short, so they're only like four to five minutes long. What'll happen is I'll I'll wait for the animation like a week and a half, and there's a week and a half of not nothing, and then I get it, and I have like three days or so to get the first draft of the score, and and then he'll send me the. I'll generally get one version of the animation that's half done and half uh, rough sketch at the end. And then I get the final with sound effects less than a week later. And then I try and turn the score around within a day or two. Wow. And then there might be one more set of tweaks. At this point, we've done eight of them. So we, we kind of have it down in that it's generally one draft. And then I get notes on the draft and then the second draft. And we're pretty much done except for maybe one or two little changes. And then it's finished. Sounds good. But with Peter and Wendy... You know, I got, we did the first 10 episodes at once. We, we waited till there were 10 cut, and then the director, Matt, and I sat down and spotted the first 10 and figured out what they needed musically, and then I went back and wrote them. And then, and while I'm doing that, he's working on finalizing stuff from the other departments for color and for, for sound and for editing. And so I might not get notes for three weeks. And then I'll get all the notes. I kind of get all the notes at once. And then, you know, oh, hey, can you get these back to me in three or four days? And then, and again, because that shows in the second season, there's less notes than there were last season because we, because I know what he likes and what he doesn't like. Um, so it's, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. I got on a feature last year called Daddy that uh, was a dark drama and they had a composer um, that they parted ways with and he had used up three or four weeks of the time. So they were like, oh, so you only have three weeks. But in reality, it ended up being more like five because we had a sound mix and the sound mix um, got pushed back a couple weeks. So we had a few more weeks to mess around with the score. Um, and that was that was fairly quick to turn around a feature film score from scratch without having anything to start with in five weeks. Um, and the last week was a little hairy where I had the producer and the director in the studio with me the two days, the day before we're supposed to deliver for like 12 hours trying to get the cues finished and writing one cue completely from scratch. Oh, wow. Because they they couldn't agree. You know, the producer didn't like it. Director kind of liked it, but didn't love it. And the only way for me to fix it was to just start it over with them sitting here, which is not always fun. It's, no. kind of, it's like writing a screenplay with with the director like looking over your shoulder. Backseat drivers. Really? You want that character to say that? <laughs> like, leave me alone. You'll understand later when I get to the next page. Right. That would be frustrating. I just, I'm, I'm curious about deadlines again, given my line of work. Deadlines fascinate me. Oh yeah. How do you land some of these jobs? I, I really am kind of curious about how, how a person gets gets hired on these. Um, initially, I got a lot of my work from Twitter. I was I was tweeting and I was meeting a lot of filmmakers on Twitter and then I met a lot of like LA based filmmakers so we started meeting in person and then I would follow that person's the people they were talking to the most and then start to go to at that time there were more tweet ups um, we're talking <laughs> like 2009 2010 where 
you know, people would from Twitter would all get together and meet up at a bar or, you know, someone would have like a pool party at their apartment complex pool and everyone would show up. Um, and so I got to know a lot of people that way. And, and so there was a point where like 90% of my work was coming from Twitter contacts, either directly or indirectly. Uh, it's, it's word of mouth. It's who, you know, you could be the best composer in the world, but if you don't go out and network and you don't know anyone, you're not going to get the work. A lot of times it's, it's how it's, you're hired by how easy you are to get along with and how fast you are versus how good you are. They want you to be good too, but the other things come first. Like I'm going to have to sit with this person for three or four weeks Right. day in and day out am i going to like them or am i going to you know like i want somebody that i'm going to get along with right that's inter- that's that's that that makes perfect sense to me i mean collaborative arts you don't want uh you don't want someone that you're at the throat of uh again this podcast is heavily driven from that fact oh yeah yeah we it wouldn't do it wouldn't do very well if uh when we were off mic we were our, well heck we're not even in the same state so it doesn't matter but <laughs> yeah we talk a lot we we really do like honestly our cast is like 10 percent of our conversations if that if that maybe five it's really closer to five maybe even down to like one or three <laughs> well and you, and you like you guys you have to get along because if you don't like why would you be huh. doing you know you it's and then if you that's so much more future work is based around that way like someone will say oh i need a composer like oh i know this guy who's super cool and like I worked with him and he did my thing. He's really easy to work with. Like you should meet him. And so the word of mouth thing is super, super important. And, and the networking. Yeah. That's why you see uh, a director uh, work with the same people over and over. Cause that's their crew. That's their posse. That's uh, who they get along with and love to work with. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about that uh, ET example. Yeah. You, you just know that Spielberg knew that Williams was going to come in and do the work for him. Right. Uh, it's it's going to be weird this fall to actually have a, uh, for the first time since the late 80s, um, to have a Spielberg film that Williams didn't score. I know. I mean, he's getting up there. He's, I mean, he's yeah. old, much older than Spielberg. And so I kind of got to be a point. Anyways, in his, he's in his 80s. And at, the, at this point, flying is an issue for him yeah. because he almost didn't do Star Wars because they weren't sure if he was going to be able to fly to London. I have a very eerie feeling that uh, that score may be his cl- may be his closing note. Yeah, I, I think so too. It'd be a good score to go out on. Oh, it'd yeah. be the perfect score to go out on. I mean, Star Wars is going to be what he's going to be known for, along with Jaws, and Jurassic Park, and Schindler. It's going <laughs> to be one of the sc- and <laughs> yes. and really Home Alone. He did some. It, okay, Star Wars is probably still going to be his defining work, though. Right. So, yeah, go out on that note. But, yeah, I mean, that's something that I just... Because I noticed that uh, with uh, Bridge of Spies, that that's going to be... That's Thomas Newman going in uh, instead. Right. Which will still be a great collaboration. I love Thomas Newman's stuff. Uh, his score for American Beauty is one of the few things that I actually like about that film. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite scores. His score was so different. It was very... It was it was a very non traditional score. You know, it didn't it wasn't like big and beautiful. Well, the movie wasn't beautiful either, but it wasn't. You know, it was this very intimate score that was very percussive sounding that everyone copied for years afterwards. Yeah, because I actually really kind of hate that movie, but uh, I but at the same time I have a good number of uh, excerpts from the soundtrack on my computer because it's beautiful music to write to. 
There are a lot of movies that I love the score, but I'm not necessarily a fan of the movie. Or it's a movie that I have no intention of seeing, but the score is great. <laughs> like, where are some examples? Uh, uh, what can I think of? Well, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Brian Tyler, and I love his score for the movie War. But I saw that movie. It's not a spectacular movie. <laughs> yeah. There's some animated films, too, where I'm like, oh, this is totally not a film that I would go see, but this is a composer I love that I will probably buy everything from no matter what he does. So I like there's Chris Beck movies. I'm not a fan of of movies like The Hangover. Mm -hmm. um, and so I refuse to go see it. But I own his Hangover trilogy score release because it's Chris Beck. Yeah. And then and with the hope that eventually he would, you know, he'll do something like Ant-Man. I'm like, great. Now you're doing a score for a movie that I actually want to see. Yeah, um, you know, you make a, a good. You mentioned Brian Tyler. I maintain the very best thing about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles re, uh, reboot, whatever you want to call it, was his theme for that. Because his yeah, theme, for, it was his great. Theme for that's incredible. His stuff for Fast and the Furious, which again are movies that are not necessarily like I will watch those for entertainment, but they're not movies that I will go seek out or that I will see in a theater. Those are my favorite scores of his because he has this great combination of like techno and guitar and orchestral, like all mixed into one. You know, along those lines, uh, what, what movies do you like to see? I realize that's getting closer to the uh, territory of uh, what we talked about earlier, but seriously, that's a good question. I think uh, what, what movies do you like? Uh, what, what... Um, I'm a big fan of, I will. I'll pretty much go see a big budget, any big budget film. Films like Godzilla. Films like, you know, yeah, any comic book Godzilla. movie. All the comic movies are great. I just like things like Mad Max, like stuff that I know I'm just going to go and get entertained with. But I also love, like, one of my favorite films in the world is Requiem for a Dream, which is like oh. a very depressing. It's the it's the most horrible film in the world in terms of content, right. but. And it, it like it just goes down and down and down and down and then stops at the bottom. But I I love I love the way the film is shot and the way that it's the way that Aronofsky directed it and it's acted. And so so there's the part of me that likes th those films as well. The things that I don't generally go to see are comedies. I'm picky with animation. I tend to I watch animated shows, but I don't tend to go see animated films very often. You know, like I love. I love things like um, Archer, and I love watching Family Guy, and I'll even and the DC original movies um, are oh, are great. But I'm not a huge fan of of like things like Up or Inside Out or or Minions. Yeah, um, not for any reason in it. I'm just not <laughs> super entertained by like anim family film animated films. Right. Yeah, I'm so much so much more a TV person than a film person. I'm watching like. 38 different shows at the moment. Um, obviously, they're not all on at the same time, thank mm -hmm. God. But but TV is my medium of choice. So I tend to go out to the movies less or spend less time watching. Usually when I'm watching a movie, it's that I'm finished up a season of something or a show, and I'm like, oh, all right, I can use a palate cleanser. I should watch, I'll watch a couple of movies. Because there's just so much great TV on right now. It, it is. It's it's a it's a tremendous time. Uh, I'm going through BoJack Horseman season two right now. So I yeah I agree. I just finished uh, uh, the, just this weekend actually over the two days I just finished Wayward Pines, and uh, 
That's pretty dang good. Which I haven't watched yet. I've heard mixed heard mixed things about that. I heard people complaining about it initially, but then I saw more um, positive reviews, at least through Twitter, um, as the season progressed. Yeah, it's uh, paced pretty well. It's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. I like. I think uh, my my one sentence review to Austin after I finished it was uh, Rod Serling would be proud. <laughs> Which is not light, which is not light praise in my opinion. Oh yeah, uh, I have to get to season two of True Detective. I haven't watched yet. I'm watching Halt and Catch Fire right now, which is really good. I'm hearing great on that. Yeah, um, and I'm actually binge watching Friday Night Lights, which is something that was on my list forever. But because there were like we talked about this, because there were 74 episodes, I was like, ah, it's a big commitment. And then we went to visit friends in Florida who have been trying to get us to watch the show forever, and because we were captured in their house. <laughs> they were like, oh, let's just watch the pilot. And I'm like, ah, oh, but if I like it, I'm going to have to keep watching this show. And of course I yep. did. So I'm like, great. So now everything else gets put on hold while I try and get through this show in the summer before everything comes back. <laughs> That's how great pilots work is, you know, because again, as I said, I, I told my wife here, we'll just watch the pilot of uh, the X-Files. And um, that is like one of the all time great. You watch this pilot, you're hooked. Um, we, when I remember when I got my wife to watch Buffy, we, we compromised because I hadn't seen the Sopranos. So I was like, oh, great, yes. we'll watch one season of Sopranos and then season one of Buffy and then season two of Sopranos, season two of Buffy. Um, and went back and forth. And I think that was the only two things we were watching at that time. Cause it was all I could handle. Oh. Um, the Sopranos is amazing. Yes. Um, it was cool. I've seen Buffy all the way through like three or four times. So, um, it was fun to rewatch. And see how certain episodes hold up the test of time, and some don't. Or, um, um, but but it was a very they're sort of very different shows. Of course, we're like, let's watch this one season of twelve episodes of Soprano, and then you're gonna have to sit through twenty four episodes of <laughs> Buffy. I'm I'm really starting to th- to feel like the uh, current model of twelve episode seasons is. I'm glad that's finally catching on in America. Yes. I am too, because there's so much less um, filler. You don't have to fill up. You don't have to have throwaway episodes when you when you only have twelve. That's ironic, though, because you're talking about that, and I'm watching a show right now where the best episodes were the filler episodes. <laughs> so, that's true. That's all the way true. I partially this is kind of a long way out, but I partially blame the um, the writer strike of uh, 2007 2008 because mm-hmm. a lot of see a lot of seasons of a lot of TV shows were forced to be shorter. Like I think Lost went from 23 to 16 and they kind of stayed right. that way for the for the rest and it was better yeah um well and breaking bad their first season was a writer strike season oh oh and, yeah that's right and you really I, I think it only went seven or eight episodes but you really can't tell it actually feels like they mm-hmm. they ended the season in a good spot so that when you came back you didn't feel like it was cut off prematurely no Whereas, whereas Friday Night Lights, which their second season was during the yes. strike, it was very, it was interesting because there were some some wacky but not horrible like storylines. There were some out there storylines that happened, and then, and I thought, wow, this season is kind of, and then the season kind of ended prematurely, obviously because there was a strike. Um, and my concern was when we get to season three, they better not wipe this and start from scratch. Because I wanted acknowledged, which they did, um, but you can but you can tell and like that was Lost's weakest, at least cr- critically weakest season. Although I don't know that I agree, and I think if I watched 
by the time I get back to rewatching Lost from scratch, it'll be interesting to see how season three holds up just going straight from two into three into four. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have so many thoughts on that year that I have a hard time judging anything because, well, there's a blog entry on that year. That's the short version that I'm going to say. I, I have a, an entry on my uh, blog about where I was in my life at that year. So the point is I can't judge. That's the, that's, that's the long and short of it. Uh, you know, getting back to composing, I do have to ask who are some TV composers you feel aren't getting their due? Um, Blake Neely, who does the flash and arrow. Um, yeah. Who's my favorite composer at the moment. And my definitely my favorite like TV composer. He's, he does such an amazing job and he's doing two shows, those two shows at once. The Arrow score is outstanding, but I almost feel like the Flash score is even better. See, I'm, I have yet to get to Flash. I've watched two seasons of Arrow, and I could not agree with you more. I think his Arrow stuff is... its Cinematic is the only word that you can use. Yes. But that's a cinematic um, show. Flash is interesting because with Flash, you start it starts off... It's a, very, it's a much brighter world, whereas Arrow is much darker, and I think that's what appealed to me. And when Flash started out, I wasn't sure... If I was how much I was going to like it, but as the season progressed, it got progressively darker and more interesting. And it, I feel like this season of Flash ended in some ways a little stronger than this third season of Arrow. I've heard, I've heard um, Arrow. This season of Arrow was a little up and down. There'd be a great episode or a great couple, and then suddenly there was a weird storyline or a weird episode, and it would throw me off. Whereas Flash just got better and better and better and better and better all the way to the finale. I'm I'm gonna find out in a couple of months. Uh, that's all that I have to say because I, uh, I I'm a I'm, I'm a fan of Arrow. Um, we actually know someone who's gonna be working on Arrow in uh, the fall. So cool. Yeah, but it's, uh, Lexi Alexander. So uh, gonna direct an episode. Um, obviously, Bear McCreary does an awesome job oh, for yeah. television, and he's doing so many friggin' shows at once. He's doing Black Sails and Outlander and Walking Dead and Defiance. Um. Oh, and I'm missing like one or two. Oh, well, Da Vinci's Demons, is it done? It's, is it one I, more season? It's, I think it's got one more season. He's just doing a crazy amount of shows. Um, and I, I, you know, he's just, he's such a prolific composer and everything sounds different and it all sounds awesome. Um, yeah, he's great. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Oh, Phil Eisler, who does, who actually does Empire, but he, he did Revenge. Um, it was the first time I'd heard of him. And, and Revenge is a very interesting show to watch because it's so over the top and soapy. But if you if you acknowledge that and you just kind of jump in, it's fun to watch because it's because sometimes it's so over the top. But his score, his score is very it's the same way. It's very over the top. There'll be a moment when and, you know, he's he's totally blowing the dramatic out. But he does such a great job with it. And his score, listening to his score by itself, um, it's just such a such a great score and he's doing and, and there are times when watching empire that i i can hear like oh it's a very revenge moment like and the hmm. score gets really big and like intense and like oh he's he's overbuilding that drama on purpose well i know that's kind of that's another show that's very big i have yet to see any of it but i've heard so much on it <sighs> i fought it for a while i didn't want to watch it because i'm not a huge fan of terrence howard and then my wife was watching it and I was in the room while she was binging. And then I, you know, slowly got stuck watching the show and thought, okay, I can totally appreciate the show and what it's doing. And like, it's quick and it's, it keeps you interested and entertained. 
Yeah, because I like Lee Daniels. Uh, he, he's very over the top. He's very melodramatic, and I like melodrama. That's, that's kind of something I really enjoy. So I, I may need to give it... That's the problem, is I don't have enough time in my life to do everything that I want to do, so... <laughs> like, I've only seen a bit of Breaking Bad, which kind of makes me sad. Oh, you, need to, you should finish it. I know, yes. I know, because I love Vince Gilligan. I, he's a writer I really love. Uh, and Better Call Saul is great, too. Uh, yeah, I heard. Uh, that's one that I, uh, I think I have all of it sitting on the DVR and I need to watch. But uh, I finished Breaking Bad at the beginning of this year. And oh, man, <laughs> what a show. I, You know, and, and Saul Goodman was not one of my favorite characters on that show. And I wasn't sure how much I'd like Better Call Saul. But he, they found a way to make me really like the character within the context and i think it's because he's he's almost more comic relief when he's in breaking bad but it's a very dark show his sh his own show is is very dark it's very breaking bad like nice good yeah and i like odenkirk he's uh he's a good actor uh he's he was very good in uh, nebraska yes mm -hmm. and dave They're... porter the composer for both those shows does just this awesome job at having this very odd sounding score that uses weird samples and weird like sampled sounds that he records himself and it's it's by itself it's very it's almost hard to listen to but within the context of the shows it works perfectly you're definitely making me want to listen more closely to uh the scores that i hear because uh, i mean that, that that really that is something i wouldn't consider like that kind of work mm-hmm there's a Cartoon Network show I'm watching right now, Steven Universe. The score is amazing to listen to. It's just so calming and sometimes tense. And, like, every character, again, yeah, going back to the... Every character has their own theme. Like, that's definitely um, a thing that happens. And you can listen to it and go, okay, yeah, this happens, this happens. It's a very prolific show, so there's a lot of score out there. And the composer posts it online for free, so it's freely available. Which is always great. Yes. I, that used to be bigger. When I started out, I used to be able to find smaller smaller name composers, composers that weren't like A-list stars, would post their stuff online, and you could you could download. It was easier to download like a copy of someone's entire like sample live, so I could listen. You know, I wouldn't like, it wasn't for sale, but it was for me to be able to hear. Um, and I feel like that was helpful when I started out, but less and less composers. I feel like there's there's so much more rampant stealing online that everyone's more paranoid about. And I've heard horror stories about film, you know, composers who said, I heard my score from from this movie that somebody just ripped and put in this other movie. And so I get that. There's a danger in the age of uh, the internet. Like, even if you sell it, I mean, that danger's still there, but, you know, everything's copyrighted, so you can... You can kind of do something about it, but well, that's kind of how I feel. I can't, I can't stop everybody, and so you just wait. And if 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 somebody does it, they're going to get caught, and right. they go off from then. Right, exactly. There's enough ears listening out there that uh, there's no escape. That's that's understandable. One thing I do want to comment on. Uh, I think it's neat that in industry where you see a lot of Macs, like I'm using a Mac to record this right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's really cool that yeah. Uh, you built your own computer to do that because yeah i i also have windows on this thing because mac just can't do everything right yeah and it's um so i think it's really cool that uh you use that approach 
Um, and I don't, I don't really hate Windows. Windows 8 is actually, it runs everything really well and it's fast. I stayed with XP for a long, long, long time just because I knew it worked. Um, I'm on that. But uh, I, you know, my problems with Windows are, are more with like Word and the Office Suite are a little bloated. But, but again, everybody uses Word. It's kind of like Pro Tools in a studio. Like every big studio has Pro Tools in it. Um, and so, you, you know, if you're using Pro Tools, it makes it easier when you're converting um, a recording session and sending it to somebody else for mixing. It's the same with Word documents. You know, like if you're using OpenOffice or Pages, which I really want to love, but it just can't because it's missing things. It's just not as good as Word. Yeah, it helps to have uh, a standard, which is why I kind of love hate that Adobe is doing what they're doing with the Creative Cloud. Uh, mm -hmm. I have I have like CS5 on this thing. You know, it helps to have something you can just easily transfer to somebody else. I have many thoughts on Adobe because that is what I, as I said, that's the that's the industry standard in newspapers is Adobe. Right. But yeah, there's there's a definite trade off to, uh, you know, what's easy to give to somebody and what's uh, what's more convenient for you. Yeah, it's what works for you. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it's. I always tell people especially the people who like you get the anti-Mac people and the anti-PC people. I'm like, look, it's just, it's whatever works for you. And if, if Mac works better and that's for your workflow, then you should be Mac. But somebody else might be able to, might actually have worked PC better. And I've seen more and more composers switching, switch back over to PC in the last few years, which is interesting. Obviously if you're on logic, you don't have a choice because it'll only run on Mac, but, but everything else, Cubase, Pro Tools, Cubase and Pro Tools are both, multi-platform so you have a choice uh, personally i'm always of the opinion that it's it's not politics it's software you don't need to you don't need to be this passionate and this vigorous about software it's it's the same for marvel versus dc people this is right. worth the anger that you put out for the record i'm a hard centrist on the marvel dc issue um i read both and as a kid i was always a marvel kid um, not for any reason other than all my friends just read Marvel. That's all I read. It wasn't until the last, within the last 10 years that I started reading more DC comics that I had a friend who, who reads almost exclusive DC. And I, I jumped into that world and thought, Oh, this is so much darker. Like, I like this better. I still love Marvel. Like Hawkeye, the fraction and Aja's yeah. run of Hawkeye is my favorite comic in the last five, 10 years. But but I don't. But uh, Snyder and uh, Capullo's Batman oh, is man. awesome too. I honestly, I, 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 my hope is that in time we're going to view that run of Batman more than we view Frank Miller's run. Like I want that to be the standard. Yes, not I do too. Because I agree. Snyder absolutely. Because I only read one DC comic month to month because the library near me gets everything that DC publishes in. But mm -hmm. the one that I do make the exception for is Snyder's and Capullo's Batman because it is just, it's Batman. And it's Batman written in the way that makes you understand why Batman is Batman. Yes. Love it. There's a lot of other stuff. Um, I've been reading, I just read the first trade of uh, Batgirl, the uh, of the new run uh, after Gail Simone left and loved it. I loved Gail Simone's run too. Um, I'm I'm not a big fan of the the conversion storyline or the new Secret Wars. I'm waiting for them both to be over. 
I'm enjoying Secret Wars, but that's mostly because I'm a mark for a Doctor Doom story. So it's like, oh, Doom's the major character here? Okay, I, I don't care how bad this is. I'm going to read it because I love <laughs> right. Doom. I am. Um, yeah, my, 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 I'm like, I'm currently looking at my bookshelf and it's just pretty much all graphic novels. I don't know if there's a single literary novel on the entire thing. <laughs> nope. I mean, there are novels, but they're comic book novels. I, I see uh, uh, you have samples on here from uh, some reality TV. Yes. What's that like? Like, how how is that different? Um, it's very interesting. I, I A lot of the reality stuff I got, I had a, a friend who was an editor for base productions and base does a lot of different shows including factor faked and car science and police vov and and so he got me in the door there and they have a very small at that time because i think base has since dissolved they had a very small group of composers where they only had like four or five and we would just write for their shows and so they would say hey we need a piece that's like this but the editors would cut to the music so as opposed to the other way where you're getting video they would say, send me three or four cues like this one, and then also I need the, I need the stems, I need just the drums for this piece and just the strings for this piece. And then um, I would send it out and then they would be able to cut it up and use it. And sometimes they mix like my drums with somebody else's like guitar part with somebody else's string part together to make a cue depending on. That so it's, like... it's, it's so much more of a disconnect. Although it can so, be lucrative with um, royalty money. Yeah, because they, they air those things nonstop. Exactly. That must be an interesting experience. It's like, wait, I wrote that, but it's somehow different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. For the most part, they'll use, all, yeah, you can pick yours out like, oh, yeah, there's my cue. And then occasionally you're like, that sounds like my cue, but it also <laughs> sounds like somebody else's. Right. But, but, you know, they can do that. And it's the editors really who make those choices there. They don't really have a sound. They don't have a, uh, a music supervisor. It's more, it's more like the editors will just pick and choose. And then somebody has to approve it. And if they don't, they'll go and change it. That is an interesting angle. I hadn't considered because I, I was curious about that. That would be such a very different job from working for conventional narratives. And that, that makes sense to me. Um, and it depends a little on the show. I did some work for Magical Elves, who is the production company that did um, that does Top Chef and did Project Runway for the first half of its life. And they and um, I did some work for on Braxton Family Values. And the the Top Chef composer, there's one or two guys, and they've been there for the entire like I don't know, twelve, thirteen seasons. And I I feel like I feel like with that show they're it's it's custom for that show, but it's very like okay, we need quick fire music. Okay, we need we need some tense music. Give us like four or five of tense cues. Give us a like. Okay, here's we're gonna tell you tell you chefs what the competition is for this thing. We need music that's like big and and so they'll they'll go through because you if you watch the show you'll hear the same cues used over right. and over again or variations of them. Oh yeah. There are several shows where I can do that, where I can just pick out the stock music that they're using for the scene. It makes sense given that reality TV, the, the, that the uh, it would be combined like that. That's how reality TV is, after all. Yeah. Right. That kind of combines with a question I was going to ask earlier. Like, I know uh, most things before they uh, ask for a score are uh, picture locked, so that'll be you know easier if you've ever like had something 
that you had to write that wasn't, you know, that the picture wasn't locked. Right. The, the way it works for me generally is that the way it's supposed to work is I'm not supposed to get anything until picture lock. But the problem with that is often by the time you're locking picture, you're you're fighting time because then because once pictures locked, then everything else starts moving quickly. It's like color and sound and sound design. And so I am a huge proponent of getting stuff early. Like I want it before picture lock. So we have more time to go back and forth with the score to get it right. So that by the time we do lock picture, um, we've already established like the sound palette for the, for the show or the film. And we're moving into like writing specific cues. I just go in knowing that things are going to change. Like I won't, you know, I won't write things. I'll write things knowing that the scene could get shorter or could get longer, or this scene might get cut completely, or I'm not going to score this action sequence yet because it's going to get reworked. Right. That's really cool. That's uh, very uh, flexible. I don't know if you mentioned it, but yeah, you did mention that you did a video game. That's something for a video game. Mm-hmm. I've done a couple. I did a. Uh, I've done a few iPhone games, and I did an actual a game that was a Facebook game. Oh, nice. Hmm. Um, the Facebook game was the one with the 40s jazz with the modern twist, which is so painful to write just because <laughs> I don't listen to jazz or really like jazz, So, I, but I, I can write it if I have to. The other two games were like platform iOS games that were both sci-fi, so it was like a sci-fi cartoon kind of score. And, and one of them had like six different levels, so I just wrote a piece that was loopable for each level and then a boss fight cue. And again, that's, that's a little disconnected. Like they'll send me the game ahead of time and I'll, so I can demo it. And I, uh, so I know what the characters look like, but it's really just me staring at the screen, writing without knowing like how it's going to work. Yeah. Music and video games is kind of an interesting thing for me. Cause it's like, um, like, yeah, you do have the loopable music, but you also have like some games will take it more interactive like with cues and like how hard it is to how hard it must be to like get all those things to line up so it's cohesive and doesn't sound weird. Um yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely tricky because sometimes I'll line it up and then where I want it, where I think it's going to get lined up is different than where the director wants it and you end up nudging things. And those are times where it's good to have the director sitting with me where we can nudge something over like I want that I want that on her, the blink of her eyes. And then, you know, you're moving stuff a frame at a time, trying to find that spot. Um, And and sometimes it's hard when it's like a gunshot or or something that's loud where you don't want the sound effect and the the hit on the score to hit at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because you won't, because then you'll, they just get, they try each other out. You want, but you also don't want to be so far off that it sounds weird. So you have to find you have to find the balance. I think the last question I had was uh, about sound mixing, just more technical. I know most things call for stereo, but uh, you mentioned that there is a Sony like Interactive like five point one. Like, what's it? Uh, how different is it to do like a like a stereo mix versus like a five point one surround mix? Well, well, and most of that's done by the sound mixer who's doing the final mix. Mm-hmm. And and so, for instance, with Sony, I delivered stems of everything. So, like, here's the percussion by itself. Here's just the strings. Here's just the piano part. Here are the other strings. And then they will go in and pan each track separately. 
Oh, nice. So they can mix them around in five. And the second year, I think it was 7.1. Hmm. Um, it's the same thing. Obviously, it's, it, it's easier. The more instruments you have, the easier it is to, to the more variations you have to be able to, to spread things out. Um, but Cubase does have the ability to spread out and mix in 5.1. So if I had to deliver that way, I could. I haven't had to deliver it that way. I've had to just deliver it separately so that somebody else could do it. That's really cool. Like how many, like how many different tracks would any given project be like that you'd have to deliver? It depends. Like Peter and Wendy, it might might be like, well, for Peter and Wendy because it's a web series and because it's a quick turnaround. I just deliver stereo tra stem stereo stems to them, um, so it's one. It's just one track. But if I had to separate it, it would end up being like seven or eight. But I did a film a feature film called ditch party that's about a school shooting that one probably had 50 or 60 tracks wow Whoa. um hey. and and you kind of group stuff together you don't deliver them all separately you'll deliver like here's all the percussion and here's all the strings and here's all the guitars and here's and then and here's all the winds and you separate everything so that um they can mix them by group that's really fascinating well, dang. <laughs> that's really that's, that's really interesting work. I mean, I just I feel like I've learned so much today, which cool. was the, which was the <laughs> entire point of asking you onto the cast was to oh yeah get get this information because this is stuff we don't know about, and I I think if if you're a film fan, you watch this stuff, but you don't know how it works. And there are there are a lot of jobs like that, like composer, like sound designer, like colorist, where. You know all those things, you need all those things to do it, but a lot of people don't specifically know what those jobs are. And our, our goal is in time to hear from everybody who does that kind of work. We, we want to hear it. That's our goal. Thanks for the uh, uh, immediate response to our request, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, no problem. I think immediate. I just happened to catch it like I was tweeting at that moment and saw it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, really, seriously, this has been great. We actually have it on tape where I, uh, like, we're starting a thing for a Patreon, and uh, it's like, oh, oh, wait, we have a bite. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, which we are, we are building the Patreon, little by little. Oh, yeah. We, we, we have such hopes. Cool. Well, thanks. For, you guys have been great. You guys asked great questions. I, I had a nice. lot of fun being on the show. Oh, yeah. So... But uh, we really enjoyed uh, getting to talk with you, and I mean, man, given the chance, we will, we'll, we'll, we'd love to have you back on. Yeah, oh, I'd love to come back. Just let me know. I mean, if we ever do an episode that's just score specific, we would plenty of opportunities to do so too. Yeah, or maybe something where I break down where I break down the process from start to finish, and I give you, I could give you audio examples of like, here's the first. Here's what I wrote first, that in, and you know who did it? Junkie XL did a great video recently from Mad Max, um, which his score was just absolutely. Yeah, it's my favorite electric. score this year so far. Um, mine too. Mine too. He broke down the like big kind of love theme, and and was like, here's the first. Here I wrote it with this instrument, then I added this instrument on top, then I added this on top, and you can hear, you can just see it build, and it's always kind of fascinating to see it go from like seed to tree. We'll definitely do that. That's something. That's that's one that we will put down for the future because we would love to do that. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail .com. Twitter us at filmroomcast. I am at Primitive Man PRD. Austin is at Untitled User, and 
Rob Gookie is at Rob Gookie. You can Facebook us, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the film room. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the film room. We have wonderful rewards just waiting. Yep. Anything, anything you want to uh, promote? Well, I guess I guess the two things that I'm working on currently, uh, The New Adventures of Peter and Wendy, which you can find on YouTube, Dueling Kapowskis, which is a DreamWorks um, show. The first few episodes are on DreamWorks' YouTube channel, but they worked out a special deal with, with someone, and the other episodes are going to be, and I don't know that it's been announced yet, the other episodes are going to be airing on a separate network. Um, so they're holding them all back until we finish. That is awesome. All right. Okay, cool. Well, thanks again, guys. Yeah. Oh, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, seriously. Had a great time. Yeah. All right, cool, guys. Um, and I will talk to you later. Let me, uh, when you, when you're posting it, give me a heads up so I can make sure to share it everywhere. Will do. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye guys. But we must now set sail for Black Bear Rock, where our first clue lies. Oh, oh uh, Tink, do, do you want to come? Oh, oh okay. Uh, well, we will see you for dinner. Oh, yeah, sure. But no fairy porn. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs>